You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. Let me take a quick survey before we dive in. How many of you have read and or and or reread the book of Ruth over the last month? All right. Okay. The most of us. Good. Uh, what's interesting, when you really read God's Word, for some, sometimes you read it, and it's like illumination, and like the light bulbs go on, and you're like, man, this is incredible, and God is speaking, and, and, uh, it, and you have this, these revelation moments, and some people call it a rhema word, kind of like where the Word comes alive. How many have been there before, where you've read the Word like that? Absolutely. I know I have. But then there's other times you read the Scripture, and it's a little more difficult. Or it, there's a struggle. How many have ever been there, right? And you read and you're like, ah, you know, God, what are you saying? Or, or even sometimes you read and you end up feeling disappointed in some ways. Let me explain. Where you read and you see God speaking to people, but, they, but then you never hear the voice of God. How many have been there? Or you say, well, I'm going to read and you see angels delivering messages and the only thing that gets delivered to you are more bills that have to be paid. How about you've been there? Or you read and you see miracles in Scripture, but no miracles are happening in the problems or the situations that you're facing. And you're saying, man, and that's the one thing I love about the book of Ruth. As you read the book of Ruth, God never speaks in an audible way. He, there are no angels that visit Ruth or Naomi or Boaz or anyone else. There are no miracles. In fact, when you read it, it's somewhat painfully ordinary. People living, people struggling to find food, burying their loved ones, moving to another city, struggling to make ends meet. Uh, coming up, there's, there is a complex uh, romantic relationship that kind of emerges and that's kind of fun but uh, but there's some business transactions and kind of just ordinary stuff and as I've studied this for the last month or so I've realized that the book of Ruth is just really a story of actual setbacks it's a story of setbacks in chapter one as we studied it we see the famine that happens that forced the family to move to Moab we see not one, not two, not th- but three different husbands die. We see a Moabite daughter-in-law who was barren for 10 years, couldn't have kids, and we're going to actually talk about that this morning. And then they come back to Bethlehem, and in verse 21, we see uh, Naomi, she, she says, I went away full, but I've come, come back empty. And this idea that it is disaster, it's setbacks one after the next. In chapter 2, we see Ruth, Ruth gleaning in the field. She, uh, she's trying to make ends meet, and then she meets Boaz. Uh, but there's, there may be a little glimmer of hope, but there's no proposal in chapter 2. Her future is uncertain, a lot of uncertainty there, a lot of setbacks. Chapter 3, Naomi takes things into her own hands and says, Ruth, you need to go and uh, invite yourself into Boaz's life and propose to him. Ruth there, she does what Naomi says. She puts herself into extreme danger. We talked about this last week. But Boaz puts the brakes on. If you were here with me last week, and he slows it down. And on the natural to Naomi and to Ruth, 
It looks like setbacks, doesn't it? And even though Boaz is trying to be righteous and do the right thing, it looks like setbacks and all around. And that's where we come to chapter 4 today. And it looks like continued delays, more setbacks. Turn with me to, Ro- to Romans, to Ruth chapter 4, and we'll start in verse 1. It says, Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and he sat down. Let me just pause there and just remind you what's happening. Just a few verses earlier, uh, Ruth and Boaz, they leave the threshing floor early in the morning. Boaz heads back to the city. Naomi, uh, or Ruth ends up going back to Naomi and shares all the things that happened at, on the threshing floor. And uh, Boaz, he's not wasting any time here. He goes right after it. He goes to the city gate, and it was at the city gate where there was commerce that would happen. There would be uh, justice. The court system kind of happened right there. And he's gathering a team of elders, we're going to see, because he promised Ruth and Naomi that he was going to take care of this situation, this situation that Ruth needed a husband. The thing I like in verse 1 that kind of goes back to chapter 2, is that we also see the providential work here of God. It says in chapter 4, verse 1, it just so happened, just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along, just then. And we again, we saw that in chapter 2, where it just so happened that all these things, all these pieces of the puzzle were coming together. And I wanted to, to highlight that. Let's look at verse 2. It says, Boaz took the ten, ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring it this matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to it except you, and I am next in line. Let me pause right here. It says early on there, he says, I'm going to bring this to your attention. In other words, he's saying, hey man, this is your duty. This is your responsibility here to redeem the property according to what Leviticus 25 allowed. There was redemption if there was death in a family to preserve the name and to pass on blessings for generations. Plus, he's saying, look, not only to buy the land, but it is your obligation to take care of these two widows. You are the closest kinsman or guardian redeemer. And he's saying, look, not once have you stepped up yet for all these months and offered to help. He's saying, come on, man. Are you going to do this or not? And he puts the guy on the spot. And what we're going to see is that there's a lack of integrity, a lack of character. But let's look at it. Uh, we don't get there yet. We see at the very end of chapter uh, 4, verse 4, he, the guy who, by the way, is nameless, he says, I will redeem it. He's talking about the land. He's saying, all right, I'll buy the land. 
And if you've been reading along and you're in the story, you're saying, no, right? He's the wrong guy. He's not the one that was intended for this, right? So Boaz goes on to explain, verse 5, he says this, Then Boaz says, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. And so he's saying, look, let me explain this. And again, the heart of this was for redemption's sake, to re- for restoration for the family. It's really the graciousness of God that was allowed and encouraged. And, but Boaz explains that, yes, you would get the land, but you also get Ruth, the Moabite, and you get her bitter mother-in-law, right? I'm just saying. And so he's explaining this to this no-named guy. Verse 6, at this, the guardian redeemer, redeemer says, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in the earlier times in Israel, for the redemption or the transfer of property to become final, one party would take off a sandal and give it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. Verse 8, so the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he gave, he removed his sandal as a, as a sign. He's saying, I don't want it. The first thing I noticed there is verse 6, four to five times, depending on what version of the Bible you have, this guy says, I, 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 my, 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 me, me, me. He is selfish. He is not concerned about Naomi or Ruth. He's not interested in being generous or sacrificing in the least. All he sees is his own situation. He, it doesn't match up in his plan to take over. He's selfish. And as I was studying this, I just re- was reminded of a scripture, one of my favorite Proverbs, Proverbs 11, 24 and 25, that talks about the opposite of being selfish. Look at what it says. It says, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. How many want that to be your story? I want it to be my story. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed themselves. He doesn't understand this. He's just the opposite of the example that Boaz has been, who extended grace. And the result is this guy is really painted and pressured into a a hard spot. He had to decide, and he he chose to walk away from his obligation his spiritual obligation for these two, but also legal obligation. And it's really a shameful picture. I was also reminded of what Scripture says in the New Testament in regards to widows. I just want to read this quick, uh, 1 Timothy 5, 3. It says, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. And by recognition, it means you need to help out the widows among you. And we certainly try to do that here at the Gateway Church. A little later in verse 8, it says, anyone who does not provide for his relatives, like this no-named guy, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's the picture. It's a shameful situation. This guy says, I'm not going to do what I know I'm supposed to do. So what happens? Boaz steps in. And I would say in an honorable way. He steps in. Let's look at it. Verse 9. 
in the, back to Ruth chapter 4. In verse 9, it says this, Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are my witness that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are witnesses. He's saying, look, this is it. This settles it. I'm going to take care of things. And he puts it in the right direction. The, the wheel is starting to move. Uh, it's moving again in the right direction. But remember what I said early on. The story of Ruth here is a setback story. And so even though he's saying, look, I will redeem this, and I will even take uh, Ruth the Moabite, there is a cloud overhead that's hovering. There's something that the elders knew, that Boaz knew, Ruth and Naomi certainly knew, and the fact was is that Ruth was barren for 10 years with her first husband. And she would need to conceive in order to carry on the name. So this was a huge setback. No kids, 10 years. And yes, things are moving in the right direction, but would God honor this? Would God move? And look what the elders do. They certainly understood this, and they speak a blessing. They speak a prayer over Boaz and over Ruth and Naomi. Look what it says. We are witnesses. This is the elders of the church or of, the, of Israel. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah. Let me just pause there for a second. If you know the story of Rachel and Leah, Rachel was barren, and then God opened her womb, and then, then it says here, uh, the, uh, who together built the family of Israel. Uh, the 12 tribes of Israel came from Rachel and Leah. May you have standing and become famous in Bethlehem. You're saying, really? Famous in Bethlehem? We're talking about a Moabite woman who is, has nothing. How would she become? They're speaking a blessing. They're speaking a prayer. I want you to see this. It says, through the offspring the Lord gives you. So they're speaking it into existence. Do you see this? You, uh, the, through the offspring the Lord gives you, through this young woman, that's Ruth, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. In other words, in the line of royalty, let your offspring be royalty. Now I want to pause here for a second because there's all these setbacks. There's this idea, the, this cloud that's hovering that she's bearing. And uh, some of you may think, well, man, it's, it's, you, what you're talking about sounds a lot like my life. Maybe that feels, it feels like your circumstances. There's hurting and pain and trouble. Maybe there's, you're feeling like you're not getting the breaks that you want or deserve. Maybe there's relationship uh, issues and there's a torn family. Or maybe your finances are, are rough and, and you're digging yourself out of a hole and you're saying, man, will I ever get ahead? How many have ever been there? I know I have. Spiritually, you may be struggling with some iniquity, some sin, some anger, some greed, whatever it is, and you're saying, man, this sounds a lot like my life. I just keep on hitting roadblock after roadblock, setback after setback. Well, in this story, this story of setbacks, 
and there's setbacks at every turn. What I want you to see is that from this point forward, the story was not over. In fact, God was on the move, and I would say that the same is true for you today, that whatever setbacks you're facing or have faced at every turn, whatever, you're saying, yeah, that stinks, that it feels horrible, but remember the title or the subtitle of this whole series. It's hope in the hurting. And that's what we're going to see as we finish out this chapter. The best is yet to come. And I believe the best is yet to come in all of our circumstances. And along the way, for Ruth and Naomi and for Boaz, there were some signposts of grace. And that's the way I'd like to kind of describe it as we wrap this up. Three that stand out in particular. The first is the actual the gift of Ruth. We know that Naomi, we understand her story. And Naomi is far away from home. She's hurting. She's lost her husband. But Naomi, the whole uh, her whole life seemed to cave in at Moab, but God gave Naomi Ruth. We can see that clearly in Scripture. That's the first signpost of grace saying, look, I'm giving you this, this young lady, and she's going to be a blessing to you. The second standout uh, is, or signpost of grace is the preservation of Boaz. Think about it. Boaz, for all these years, an older man, wealthy man, had been preserved. The impression we get in chapter 1 is that there was no hope for Ruth and for Naomi. But even though there seemed to be no hope, all the while, God was preserving this wealthy, older, godly man. And again, his name was Boaz. And so there's this preservation. In fact, actually, as you study the story, actually in every setback, we see God at work. One commentator said because of that, Uh, In our own lives, a takeaway is that when we have setbacks or when we have trouble or when there's issues, instead of just complaining right out of the gun, he says, you ought to count to 10 before you complain about your circumstances because you never know what God is doing behind the scenes. I think that's good advice. Every loss that the godly endure, God is plotting for your gain for my gain. We see that in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. For I know all things, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And that's what we see happen as we finish out the story in Ruth chapter 4. Pick it up in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and he cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son. And that's figurative. Obviously, it was Ruth's son. But the lineage, the the name was going to continue. And they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. We see the third signpost of grace is that, that God opened Ruth's womb. We saw it in verse 11. They understood 
And even in their prayer, the elders, that Rachel, they're uh, making the connection with this barren woman. But they prayed a blessing. And the fulfillment of that is seen in verse 17. In fact, as you read this and you kind of, as you study that last little portion there, you really begin to see that really the book of Ruth is not Ruth's story so much. It's Naomi's story. It's Naomi's story of setbacks. That Naomi lost her husband, but God gave her Ruth. There was no kinsman, but God gave Naomi Boaz. When Ruth was barren and married Boaz, it was God who gave the child. And what we see is this penniless widow. It's the turnaround story of the Old Testament. That every problem, there was a promise, there was something that was coming, that the best was yet to come. And we want to see the same thing this morning in our lives. That when God is for us, who could be against us? That God is out to help us as his children. He's out to redeem us. Amen? And what he does is he takes a hurting situation, and he brings hope to it. But this is not the end of the story. There's more. I believe the best, the, the biggest takeaway is seen in these last few verses. Let's start in verse 17. It says, The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then in verse 18, it says, And this is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. Whew! You're saying, okay, what do you get out of that, right? Well, what we see is that in that moment, the end of the story is emerging. We see this story of Naomi, the story, the book of Ruth, is part of a grander story. That this story of Ruth conceiving a son was part of imparting generational blessings, a grander story. That God was not only plotting for the temporal blessings of a few Jewish people in Bethlehem, what God was doing behind the scenes was preparing for the coming of the greatest king that Israel would ever have. And who was that? King David. King David. And with the name King David, with the name of David, it carries a whole lot of hope. A lot of hope. Hope of the Messiah, hope of a new age, hope of peace and righteousness, a hope of freedom from pain, a hope that there would be no more crying, no more guilt, no more grief. What we see in this story is that this little story is a great river of hope. And if you fast forward to Matthew chapter 1, the only place in the New Testament where Ruth is mentioned, it's found in another lineage, a list of names. And included in that list are four women. Of course, the Virgin Mary, but then this Moabite woman, Ruth, is in the story, is in the lineage of Jesus. And then, of course, the, the prostitute Rahab, and then Tamar, and then uh, it's alluded to Bathsheba as well. And what we see is that there's a greater story here. 
that God's purpose was greater than just those moments. And we, what we can uh, infer from this is that there is nothing trivial with God. And I don't know all of your stories, I know some, but I can guarantee you along your journey, along your river, so to speak, God is at work. You walking with God is more important than you could ever imagine. God's purposes in your life, for His people to connect us, it connects us with something greater than ourselves. And I believe that everything we do in obedience to God, no matter what it is, no matter small or if it seems insignificant, it all is part of the bigger picture. In our lives that may seem ordinary, like Ruth and Naomi's story, may seem ordinary at some, in some way, it's actually not. It's actually supernatural. God is at work. And what I want you to know this morning is that the supernatural is at work in your lives as well. There's no doubt. You say, well, how does it work? What are the keys? Well, I mentioned it earlier. Verse 11 and 12 was this great prayer of the elders. They blessed Boaz and said, man, we want to bless you. We want to speak into existence some things that are not. Future, a future son, right? Generations. And what's interesting is the power of prayer in that moment. The power of blessing a barren woman in that circumstance. Rachel was barren and became the matriarch of Israel. Ruth, a Moabite woman, in that prayer, it prays that she would be famous in all of Bethlehem. How does a Moabite woman become famous? She doesn't unless the supernatural is at work. In Perez, it's this line of royalty all the way to Jesus. Are you kidding me? God was at work. What was going on? What I want you to see this morning is that there were some faith statements declared over their circumstance. There was a blessing given. And the the Bible talks about the power of life and death come from our tongues. And they spoke life into their circumstances. The elders were saying, we believe that God can work miracles. That God is greater than the setbacks that you've had. That he's greater than the circumstances. And with that little declaration, that those two verses, that prayer, that blessing, we see poverty move to riches. We see the bitter become sweet. We see a Moabite woman who is certainly living in idolatry, now worshiping the Messiah or, or the soon uh, Yahweh. We see a story of setbacks, a devastation, now in a place of redemption. Amen? What was barren now is giving birth. There was destiny. And you say, well, man, that's a great story, right? That's a nice story for Ruth and Naomi. Or a good story, good for Boaz, right? But what about me? Well, listen, I believe each of us, when we understand, we are all part of a grander story in our own right. I was at the Leadership Summit a couple weeks ago. Uh, It's probably been a month, a month and a half ago now. And as I was studying, I was reminded that during the Leadership Summit, they highlighted four or five what they called grander vision stories. 
And the idea was they took these leaders that were growing in their leadership who had a dream, and most of the time the dream was really in response to a tremendous need, and then they kind of followed the story. They talked about the setbacks. They wouldn't have put it in that way, but the, the journey, it wasn't just all easy. There was actually, in some of the stories, just a whole lot of hardship. But then the grander vision, the grander story emerged. And as I was studying and just meditating, I went back to my notes on that, and I got kind of inspired about this grander story idea. And as I remembered the stories that were shared that week during this leadership summit, I realized that those stories were just like Ruth's story. They were setback stories. And then I went on a mission (laughs) and asking, if you saw me this week, I probably asked you, hey, what's your greatest setback story? Or do you know of a good setback story in your life? And I probably drove some people crazy. But I was going around the office saying, hey, what's your best, you know, and this and that. And some stories emerged. First service, Dennis and Mary Hardy were here. And part of their story is a tremendous setback. Their daughter in an accident, and some of you know her, and has been uh, uh, not able to live on her own. 24-hour care still today. Tremendous setback. We have another uh, family in the church just a few weeks ago. Lost a son driving on 31, accident. and, uh, And just like that, the truck flipped and his life was taken. A young man, 25 years old. We have a, a dad who his daughter is in prison. She, he was here for uh, first service, Rich Lovell. And you think about the setbacks in that situation. We had a family, um, and they're not here second service either. They were my first service example, but uh, uh, Mike Rathbun lost his first wife to cancer. Some of you know him. And the loss of a spouse, you say, man, that's part of his setback story. And there's others that have experienced divorce in some way, and uh, and that is seen in a lot of circumstances. And the Holy Spirit, as I started kind of just asking and kind of hearing these stories and saying, okay, what was God doing in these stories? I realized that these setback stories are really part of a grander story in all of our lives. The one setback story that emerged that I wanted to share, and I'm sharing it with permission, is Pastor Bobby's story. He's saying, hey, what about my story? <laughs> and, uh, and some of you have heard him talk about his background. It was that you were, had some learning disabilities early on, right? Speech impediment, yep. And, uh, and then his family split and there was divorce and uh and issues around uh weird things around his his family Uh, he ends up out of college and in his first position uh, his first ministry position in connecticut and after a year lost his job tremendous setback although he did find kyle which was the salvation to that whole story right he moves to oklahoma and I said Missouri first service, uh, moved to Oklahoma, and uh, it just so happened, just like the Book of Ruth, I love it, just so happened that he ends up living next door 
to Larry and Kathy Ellis. Some of you are saying, who is Larry and Kathy Ellis? Larry and Kathy, Kathy Ellis are my brother-in-law's parents. Why? They're like wild, right? And so the pieces of the puzzle are coming together. And Pastor Bobby, in that moment, is feeling somewhat defeated, not knowing where to go. He's got some options, but he's gleaning in the fields. He's leading worship uh, at, his, at this church where my brother-in-law's parents went. And then we put out the search, and the connection started to come together. And God was leading Pastor Bobby here and connecting us together here at the Gateway Church. And I say you fast forward now two years, Pastor Bobby has become one of my favorite worship leaders, and I know he is for many of you as well. And you think about it, the setbacks that he had, that he overcame. And what I see in your story, Bobby, it's a story of hope. God, if not even for a second, left you, never forsook you. It was a story of hope. In Ruth's story, Naomi's story, it's a story of hope. And I want to encourage everyone here that your story is the same. There's hope for you today. And I believe that God wants to meet you and he wants to help you through. And he wants to make some connections. And we've left some time at the end of the service and uh, we kind of have to move here uh, a little quick. Pastor Bobby wants you to come. What we want to do at the end of this series, is we want to give you an opportunity to receive a prayer, a prayer of blessing that we believe will catapult you into the next season of your life, that will help you understand the purposes and the plans that God has for you, that the best is yet to come in your life. And what we want to do is to, we want to create an opportunity, and we've got some prayer warriors that are here that are going to come. In fact, if you would come, the ones that I uh, called out, and Sam and Julie, if you would, wouldn't mind coming and pray as well, we're just going to make our way here. We are going to have an opportunity for you guys to come to receive a prayer of blessing over your circumstances. And we'll make it quick, and we'll, we'll kind of move through this. We won't belabor it, uh, but we, our goal is that everybody will come and that we can just pray for you, bless you, and ask, and ask God to just uh, put, you, put, your, the, put you in the right mindset. And whether you come or not, we're still going to we'll just pray, but, but we want to make room for that this morning. And so we're going to do that. The other thing before we do that, I just want to just say, is that this whole story... It's really a redemptive story, isn't it? And uh, you can't help but see that Boaz was a type of Christ. I was studying a little further, digging a little deeper on that topic this week and ran across a devotional uh, that talked about Boaz relating to Jesus. And uh, I want to just say this before we cast a net for salvation, that Boaz was related to Ruth and Naomi just as Jesus And God became man to relate to us. How many are thankful for that? Like the the woman, uh, Naomi and Ruth, they couldn't save themselves. We too can't save ourselves. Like Boaz, who wasn't obligated to save the woman, so Jesus isn't obligated to save us. He wants to. 
but he didn't have to. Like Boaz, who redeemed the women, so Jesus redeems us. Thank the Lord. Two more. Like Boaz, who loved Ruth as his bride, Jesus loves his church as his bride. And like Boaz, who shared his land and his home with the women, so Jesus has prepared an eternal home in his kingdom for us. And the the fact is, is that Jesus is here to redeem your circumstance. He wants to minister to you. And he wants to save you. He wants you to receive him into your heart. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, there's no good reason why you'd want to leave these doors and walk out of here without making your heart right with Jesus. And I don't know everyone's story here. If you're here today and you are away from God in any way, we want to offer the gift of salvation. It's a free gift. In fact, if you could bow your heads and close your eyes quick. If you're here this morning saying, that's where I am today, and you need Jesus to save you, would would you just raise your hand? First service, we had one young lady that gave her heart to the Lord. Yep, we have another lady, second service here, responding. Who else? Just lift your hand saying, boy, I'm ready to receive Christ or come back to Jesus. I need to come back and receive Him again. I've, I've walked away. I've been... I've been gone. Well, church, for the sake of the one, would you just repeat this wonderful miracle prayer with me? It's not the words of this prayer that do anything, but uh, for the sake of the one, would you repeat this with me? Say, Dear Heavenly Father, please forgive me of all my sins. Make my heart clean. Come into my life and live with me. I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. I choose to serve you. Save me, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And the beauty of that is that the Bible says, if I could have your eyes on me, is that the Bible says when even one turns towards salvation, the angels in heaven rejoice. And so we rejoice with the angels today, amen. God is good and he's working on your behalf. I believe that for you, Penny. Amen. Let's stand all across this place. And what we're going to do is we're going to just put this. we got about five or six minutes. And if it takes a little longer, bear with us. But we want to pray for you and pray for your circumstances. And so Pastor Bobby's going to lead. We want you to sing, but we want you to come. And we're just going to put our hands on you. We're going to pray a blessing. And then you can make your way back to your seats this morning. Let's do that. Pastor Bobby, lead us this morning. Amen. We've got just a couple minutes here before... We'll officially close. It's not too late to slide out. We've got a couple openings here, some prayer warriors here. Uh, Don't miss this opportunity. Uh, But as we just let this sit on our hearts, I want you just in your own mind to see your circumstances from the lens that God sees it, that the best is yet to come. Come on, say that with me. The best is yet is yet to come. One more time. The best is yet to come. And as you believe that, as you say that, there's something that happens inside of us, inside of our hearts, inside of our minds that changes our perspective. And it's not only here that we can declare that. When we walk out of these doors, we can take that perspective to our neighbors, to our coworkers, 
to our family members, to our kids, and let that be our anthem, that the best is yet to come. Let me pray. Lord, I pray that just over this congregation, Lord, over our future, not only together, but individually as well, Lord, we believe that you're orchestrating our lives in supernatural ways. It may not be in the audible voice. It may not be an angel sent. It may not be even a, uh, uh, some sort of prophetic word. But Lord, we believe that you're working behind the scenes. Your providential nature is at work. And Lord, we just rest in that. And we believe together that the best is yet to come. And Lord, now as we leave, I pray that you'd go before us, behind us, and all around us. And give us opportunity to take what we're experiencing here to the world that's lost and hurting. And help us to be the light. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. God bless you. Go in the grace of God. We love you. Thank you for being here this morning. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.